0: Um, tonight's Bible reading comes from Colossians 3, uh, verses 1 to 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears
1: Well, good evening again. I always count it as a privilege to be able to bring the word of God each and every time I'm rostered to stand up here and uh, this is no different it is so good to be able to come and just bring God's word to you and uh, particularly on this topic uh, I have to be honest I'm quite excited about the fact that we're going to be focusing on discipleship this year obviously it's something that myself and my wife are very passionate about and uh, I I couldn't tell you how many people uh, we have actually discipled and seen them go on to great things for Christ and I firmly believe that's what we as a church church are called to do and um, yeah so so we should be a church that is discipling people who disciple people that's what it's all about and we need to be encouraging people that they have something to say if they have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ they don't need a theological degree they don't need to know the Bible inside out if they have a relationship with Christ they have something that they can actually say do you like my slide yeah I wanted Josh to put Converse on the shoes, but no, he didn't get there, but that's all right. So guys, we're going to be focusing. Can I just have it up the back too, please, guys? Just so that I look like I'm remembering things. They'll they'll think I'm real smart then if I can see that. So our call in the church is this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And when we think about this passage, wow, what's going on with that? <laughs> when we think about this passage, I wonder what comes to mind for you. I wonder what you think about it. This is something that Jesus said. It was the last thing he said before he ascended into heaven. And, and so it's, it holds this great relevance to us. And this is something that was spoken to believers at that time. And it's spoken to believers all the way down through the ages. And it's the only call that we have. We are called to make disciples. That's it. And I think that for way too long, the church as a whole, not SDBC on its own, the church... As a whole has been going through the motions. And in all honesty, we can be very, very thankful that some people are recognizing the need. There was a group of people in this church who wrote to the elders and pastors of this church asking for us to start discipling them. Isn't that awesome? And so when we looked at that and we started talking through what we've got and what we've done and realized we haven't been good at discipling people, we've had this primary focus as, again, as a, world, as a church, where it was all about bringing people into the kingdom. It was all about winning converts. I used to be in a church where they put hearts up either side of the stage for everyone who gave their life to Christ. But if you asked them whether those people had been discipled, if you asked whether they had been carried on and were following Christ even to this day because of the things they were taught, the answer would be no. There was no discipleship in place. They were more concerned about the ones who came to Christ. And there was nowhere in Scripture where we are told to bring converts. We're called to make disciples, people who are disciplined in following Christ. And I think we get this a little bit mixed up too. You know, we we have this habit of um, doing spiritual retreats, having a greater emphasis on prayer, doing a preaching series, Um, you know, even perhaps starting a discipleship course and we think that's going to help the situation we think that's going to solve the problem but we need to make a choice each and every one of us to be determined to disciple someone it's a call for each individual and it's a call for us as a people of God and the mark of true discipleship is a radical transformation a radical transformation. That's what's described in the Colossians passage that we read out earlier. Let's just pray. Father God, I know everyone sitting here wants more of you. And Lord, I wanna start by apologizing as a church leader for not getting this right. I ask for your forgiveness I ask, Lord, that as we move through this word this evening, that you will speak to each of us, Lord, individually and corporately, that you will challenge us to hear the truth of your word that we need to be raising up disciples, Lord. And that, Lord, each and every one of us will ask, what can I do? How can I serve you in this, Lord? And we'll be willing to do whatever it takes. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we go through this series that we're starting in the evening now, and indeed as we go through the year uh, as a church, as a people of God, we're going to have this primary focus on discipleship. And my desire, and I'm sure the other leader's desire is, that as we move through this series, if there's things that people are being challenged to do, and that's not true for your life, that you make a note of that. That you come and speak to one of the leaders or someone who is leader in your life group, connect group, and, and, and you, you, you talk to them about the fact you need to have this in your life. You don't know how to do it, but you realize it's something that you have to change in order that you can grow closer to God. Because that's what we want. We want people to be closer to God. And so if you identify something that you need to understand better, identify something that you need to have, and you need guidance in order to reach that point, please come and see us. There's no shame in asking for help ever, anywhere. So first and foremost, Uh, As disciples, when we look at what was actually said in Colossians 3, those on the road to discipleship have first and foremost been raised with Christ. I think you agree that that's what what it actually says in this Colossians passage. It actually says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I love this thing. So if then you have been raised with Christ, Paul has spent the first two chapters of Colossians explaining the preeminence of Christ. And that's just a fancy way of saying that uh, Jesus is above all things. He it was before all things uh, by th- him, th- by him, all things were created and in him, all things are held together. He's the exact image of the all powerful, almighty God. He was, he is, and he is to come. There is none like him. There is none above him. There's none that will ever defeat him. He is our preeminent God. And it's this Jesus who emptied himself of all of that, who had everything, and he laid aside that glory that was his, and he came to this earth as a baby, helpless, dependent on others, fully human. And he came to do what he knew we couldn't do ourselves. He came to make that way where we could be put back into right relationship with God. He took the punishment that was rightfully mine. He was beaten. He was mocked. And ultimately, he was crucified. An incredible, horrific death. And he died. And then, on the third day, he rose again. And in so doing, he proved that the price had been paid once and for all, for all our sins. Death no longer reigns over us. And he made that way so we could have a relationship with God again. And all we have to do is accept that. Accept that as truth. Receive Jesus Christ. Accept him as your Lord and Saviour. And when we do that, Paul says we are raised with him. The life we have been raised to with Christ is one where we focus on the heavenly things, the things that are above, not the things on this earth. And when we truly understand that, then our lives are changed. And there's no alternative in this. Radical change is inevitable. And even thinking about the verses we've looked at tonight, if we are to shift our focus from the things of earth to the things that are above, or heaven, that is, and of itself should bring about a radical change in our lives. But think about what else Paul says in verses 9 and 10. He says this, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. I think all too often we read these passages and we don't dig deeper. We don't grasp what is actually being said. And I'm as guilty as everyone else on that. And Paul's not saying if you put off certain behaviours. He's saying because you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then you must put on these behaviours. There's something that is radically different. You've shifted from one set of beliefs to another set of beliefs. Because you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are now focusing on the things above. The things of the world no longer hold your attention. They no longer hold the value that they once did. What was once acceptable is no longer. Your moral compass has taken a huge hit and things you once did no longer measure up. Your beliefs, your views, your attitudes, your focus, your goals, they're all radically different now. Not because I say they are, but because Jesus says they are. In fact, this transformation is so great that it's like you're a new person. Not a changed person, but a new person. Think about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was this man who spoke with Jesus. And and Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Mums, let's think about that a moment with your teenage kids. No, second thoughts, don't do that. But let's think about birth. You know, I was present when both our daughters were born, and I've got to tell you it was amazing. Elena and I were those parents who didn't find out what sex our daughters were going to be. Uh, We had no idea, and in fact, the second child, our daughter Elise was born and uh, the doctors birthed her, threw her on um, Elena's chest, threw a sheet over her and said, congratulations, we're just going to go out in the hall and leave you for a while. And Elena's like, I, was like, I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl at that stage. So, That's a girl. <laughs> And the thing is, you have this expectation though, don't you? You have these hopes, dreams and expectations about what your child is going to be like. But in all reality, you don't really know, do you? You don't know until that child is born. You don't know what is going to happen. And the same thing is that new life that we have in Christ who we were before a person with hopes dreams and aspirations just like those expectant parents but then when we have this new life in christ it's this whole new hopes dreams and expectations that are placed upon us and they're god's hopes dreams and expectations they're no longer ours it's all about jesus what he calls me to do what he does with the life that i've now laid at his feet and quite frankly it's all about killing me The gospel we're called to proclaim the message we say we have received and believed is at its heart this message of radical change and in reality it's about killing me if I'm to move from what I once was to what I am to be in Christ then I have to take incredibly drastic action Colossians 3 5 says put to death therefore what is earthly in you Before I knew Jesus there were things that I did which were quite acceptable to my peers. Um, When I was in primary school I hung around with a pretty rough crowd and uh, we used to just have these all in brawls all the time Um, and you know that was quite acceptable. That is what we did. Uh, We didn't care whether we damaged people's property or anything like that. That was just part of the game. And so we have this thing, this attitude um, where what we do with our peers, if they find it acceptable, well then it's okay. But when when I was born again, when I gave my life to Jesus, that behavior was no longer acceptable. I was risen to a new life in Christ. There was this radical change the things that were once acceptable and okay, no longer were. Look at these things that Paul tells us to put to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. If I was asked to ask for a show of hands as to how many of us would like to have all of these things dealt with in their life, have none of this happening in their life. I'm sure all of you would put your hands up. We don't want evil in our life. And I'm not going to talk about each of these points. I think we've done that in other messages and services. So I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to talk about two things here. And the two things I want to talk about is evil desires and idolatry, which is actually mentioned here. The original Greek word here that is translated evil desires is actually one word. And it's a word that is very, very difficult to translate into English. So we've got the best that they could actually do when it came to this translation. But what it really means is an epidesire or an overdesire, a desire that is magnified or excessive. Think about that. When we think of evil desires, what comes to mind? We think about all those things that are bad, all those things that, you know are evil in the world. That's not actually what this passage is saying. You know, I think if we think of evil desires, we could be thinking of things such as pornography, gossiping, slander, coveting and stealing, those types of things. And of course, we could stand up and say, well, I don't actually do those things. It's very easy not to do those things in reality. I know some people struggle, but With broad brushstrokes, it's fairly easy to stop doing those things. And you know what? Some people say, I don't commit those sins. I don't have that evil in my life. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were living by a standard that was seen And yet their hearts had not been changed. They hadn't got to the relationship side of things that God wanted them to. So when this passage speaks about evil desire, we need to think of it as that excessive or great desire, not just evil. Okay, It's not just something that is bad. It can also be something that is good. Someone got a problem with that already? Because, you know, at the heart of this is idolatry. That's what it's all about. And so idolatry is replacing God with something else. Think about how we've allowed this thinking in our lives. I've been in situations where young men and young women say that they are going to be complete in their husband or their wife. Totally unbiblical. You can only be complete in Christ. You cannot be complete in anything else. And if you come to me for marriage counselling and you tell me you're going to be complete in your husband and your wife, we're going to have a long session because you won't. It is simply not going to happen. You will only ever be complete in Christ. Think also about your career. So often we focus on gaining a certain level in our chosen field and we just want to get to that next level and we think that we're going to be satisfied and complete in that and it's simply not true. Think about the reason why we get the education that we do. Think about our social statuses that we strive so hard to attain. And the list goes on and on. And often these types of things start off innocently enough and then we get caught in the trap which is the world and so we're on this slippery path And before long, these things become more important to us. They're the things that we focus on. You know, even when people talk about serving God, they say, well, Lord, if you allow me to earn X amount of dollars, then I will serve you. Then I will give you X amount of dollars. Whose is it? It's God's anyway. And he doesn't want someone who's got X amount of dollars before they give to him. He wants someone who says, Lord, I've got one penny, but I'll give it to you anyway. Those examples are again and again in scripture. Each and every one of us are made to worship. Do you believe that? Do you believe that non-Christians worship? If you don't, go down to the Footy Ground. They're worshipping that. They're cheering their teams on. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Don't hear me wrong. It's great to have people supporting you with stuff like that. But when that becomes such a focus that it replaces God, there's big issues. There's big problems. And we need to remove those idols from our lives. And we need to ensure that when we worship, we're worshiping God and God alone. You know, as we've grown up, many of us have been slaves to our parents' expectations. I lived most of my life trying to prove myself to my parents. Some of us are caught up and trying to meet our friends' expectations. Some of us are caught up in that battle of trying to meet unrealistic expectations of our bosses. And again, there are our spouses that sometimes we try and meet their expectations as well. We try and meet the expectations of our peers and what this world is calling us to. We have serious issues at the moment with... Um, mostly young women and their self image and their body image because of what's being plastered up on board, billboards everywhere. But it's a growing concern for young men as well. And we bow to all of these things. We see a need to fit in, we see a need to comply. But we've been called out of that. We are not to live like that. When we come to that point where we say, We believe in you, Lord Jesus. There's this amazing transaction that happens. You see, we are not, I am not a Christian because of how I live. I'm a Christian because of Christ, because of what he has done. And when I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior and God looks upon me, He sees me as one with Jesus. He looks at me and he looks at you as if you have died and been risen to new life in Christ. You are free. Hear that. You are free from anything and everything that you have done wrong. Jesus paid that price once and for for all. So because of what Jesus did, God now sees my sins nailed to that cross. The price has been paid once and for all. Because of all God has done, And how he sees us, our reasonable response is to live in obedience to him. That's what we're called to do. And we're to put to death those things that are not of him. And those things are sometimes good things. Can we think about that for a moment? Have you personally ever desired or wanted the approval of someone, someone on this earth? Have you been one of those people who set out to find yourself? Have you fallen for a lie, the incredible lie that you're not good enough? You need to lose weight. You need to get fitter. You need to get smarter. You need to know the Bible better. You need to have more answers. You need to be more than you are. If you've fallen for that, you've fallen for a lie. God has no expectations upon you like that. He's waiting with open arms to accept you exactly as you are. And yeah, He's going to help you through issues, He's going to help you through problems. But you don't have to change. Come to him as you are. Jesus died to free us from all those things. And all those expectations, they're not of him. They're of the world. We don't need to be a certain kind or a certain standard to be accepted and blessed by God. And the truth of the gospel is that God, through Jesus Christ, cleanses us, giving us a perfect record, and he delights in us. Can you believe that? When we realize this, when we understand the true outworking of the gospel of Christ, we understand the freedom we truly have. And we desire to live for him because of what he has done not because of anything that I can do, not because of anything I can gain in being obedient to him. I do that because of the incredible thing he has done for me, the free gift of eternal life with him, the hope that we have for the future of spending eternity with him. And when we realize and understand that, we'll embrace our new identity. Yeah? Very quiet tonight. I usually get a few responses during the message. And I've spoken about identity in Christ many times. And I don't know if I've really helped you understand what it means. I'm not sure if um, we've embraced this as much as we should. I know some have. They've come and spoken to me. And I, I, just, I just get really excited when people talk about who they are in Christ. I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. So I, I'm, I'm just going to share a story that um, mm-hmm. Timothy Keller speaks about. And uh, he has has this lady who he spoke to when he was a young pastor. He was in his mid-20s. And what this lady says is based on Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And as I said, Tim was a young pastor in his mid-twenties. And this lady was an older lady. She'd had a very rough life. She'd been through a number of men, both husbands and just guys who lived with her. She had come to Christ and she was living in a trailer park. She didn't have much money, but the trailer park was pretty close to the church that Timothy was pastoring at, at the time. And she would come to that church and and Timothy would visit her from time to time in her trailer. and, And he would have these incredible conversations with her. And this is a lady who had no biblical foundation. This is a lady who had no idea of what theology was but she knew Jesus and so because of the difficult life that she'd had the abuse she'd suffered at the hands of these men she she went th- to a therapist to help her through uh, a lot of these issues. And this therapist, with all good intentions, uh, pointed out to her that she had lived this life where she built her significance, where she built her acceptability, and where she built her identity on the men that she was with. She so desperately needed a man in her life to feel complete. And a therapist was very good at pointing out that that's what she'd been doing. And that she didn't need to do that anymore. But what the therapist lacked was somewhere else to go. The therapist didn't understand our relationship with Christ and that we've got this God who wants to step into that moment and say, look, I can give you everything you need. If you want to be fulfilled in life, if you want to live life to the full, then come to me. And the therapist couldn't do that. So what did the therapist do? She said, you need to get a bit of an education so you can get this great job and then you can be fulfilled in your work. And this lady saw immediately what this... counselor was doing, what her therapist was doing. She was shifting her from one idol to another. That's how she recognized it, And she knew it wasn't right. And she knew she wouldn't do it. And here are her words that she said to Timothy Keller. And this, this is incredible. When I go to church, when I'm in worship when what Jesus did for me is so real and so wonderful, in my heart, I think of the men in my life and I say, I speak to them. And I say this, I'm glad to know you and I certainly wouldn't mind being married, but you are not my life. Christ is my life. I'm done taking anything else in my life. You're a good thing. That you're not the ultimate thing. Totally uneducated woman. And man, does she get it. What powerful words. Think of how old Timothy Keller is now. He still speaks about this woman. She understood what it meant to give up everything. Pastor Darrell spoke about that pearl of great value where you sell everything, you give everything because you want that pearl of great value and that pearl of great value is Christ. And when we're called to that, when we're called to purchase that pearl of great value, we have to give up everything, not just a little bit, absolutely everything. And then we have this radical change in our life and the, t- the test for that is when people look upon you, do they go, wow, what is different about that person? because that's how different we should be do you think that's possible in this day and age that we live so sold out for jesus that people will actually see that i'm going to do something that i haven't done in this church before i'm going to play a short video clip if these guys can do that for me that would be awesome and then i'll speak afterwards thank you just a video clip if you can good